1: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio, sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. I'm your host for this week, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for being with us today um, here in the Doctor's Lounge. Uh, <laughs> this is a certainly an interesting time in the history of healthcare. There have been some times in the, in the almost three years that we've been on the air where things have been quiet and it's been a little bit of work to find material. Not so. These days with so much going on and, and things changing almost daily, the good news is uh, there's no shortage of things to talk about. The bad news is is that you can't prepare for a show very far in advance because things change so rapidly that what you prepare for the three or four days before is obsolete by the time you're, it's time to go on the air. So uh, as we talk about what's going on in healthcare care legislation and we talk about uh, what we've called for today's show the postmortem, in Doctor Metaphor uh on the uh, American Healthcare Act uh I've got uh, one of my favorite folks to have on Mike Hamilton uh from the Heartland Institute is going to help us try and uh unpack this and uh and uh, dissect what's going on Mike thanks again for uh, rapidly becoming one of our regulars here which makes me quite happy indeed
2: Oh, Mike, not half as happy as it makes me. Thank you so much for having me on. I, uh, you probably can hear the smile on my face. I'm just, uh, I, I love this show. I love the Doctors Run. I love Doctor for Patient Care Foundation. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's always a great time. Uh, I was, I believe I was talking to Hal Schurz last time on this show here and, um, and just excited now to be, to be joining you. We have a lot to talk about. You're absolutely right. Uh, it is an exciting time to be uh, a healthcare uh, policy uh, analyst. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, and in my case, editor of Healthcare News, which is a, a newspaper that goes out to every state and federal elected official in the country uh, every month. I mean, it, it's, you, they're, uh, it's not. Uh, it's not always quite as active at the federal level. There's always state things to talk about, but but this has just been nuts. I mean, we've had uh, we've had stories that I have sent up the line and like ready to go to print, um, and then uh, they, they kicked back to me and and it said like, hey, this has been overtaken by events, and I'm like, I could not agree more with you. It's what's crazy is that it's been five days, and now this is ancient history. So uh, it's it's a blast to be with you, and we have a lot to talk about today.
1: Yes, indeed. So, you know, as we talked about ahead of time, I, I think people want to hear you more than they want to hear me. So, uh, I just go ahead. I mean, you know, we have this American Health Care Act, which is now you know sort of dead on arrival, and lots of things to talk about. But you just go ahead, and uh, you've already written a piece for the or co-authored something for the Washington Examiner. So, you've done a lot of research here. So, just uh, go ahead and uh, give us all your thoughts.
2: Well, I would love to. I guess, well, a lot of people who, you know, maybe they have not been able to keep track of the healthcare policy debate, uh, for the, uh, for the entire stretch here. They might just want to be caught up a little bit. And so, um, I guess one thing that I would start with before talking about the American Healthcare Act itself, that's the bill that House leadership, uh, proposed, uh, in early March, uh, and was hoping to, uh, to just pretty much ram through with support from uh, from uh, obviously just enough Republicans, I think they knew all Democrats were going to oppose them uh, but uh, but we're just hoping that they that some of the more conservative factions uh, in Congress uh, would just kind of go along with it uh, it, it didn't pass um, and so one of the observations and really false commentary that has come out of that is that uh, well you know Republicans have, have never really had a plan here, and the fact is that actually for years uh, there have been plans introduced every year since. Uh, Obamacare was signed into law, which was in 2010. Uh, that Republicans have produced in order to uh, to totally change the face of health care in this country um, and uh, the, we uh, for a stretch there didn't have too few plans we had so many plans on the table and uh, the question became well, were Republicans going to be able to, to narrow it down but I guess the one I admit I would want to spell early uh, on is that um, Republicans do not have a shortage of ideas uh, to change health care policy and to drastically improve um, the health care uh, access situation in this country um, there there's a lot of great ideas out there and the Heartland Institute where uh, I'm from uh, has been shepherding a lot of those ideas for 33 years um, and uh, really as the, the best ideas um, were somewhat present in this bill the American Health Care Act um, but there are a lot of good ideas that we're going to uh, be cut out of the process um, if this bill were to go forward in the form in which it was finally presented um, and so, uh, essentially, what the I think the easiest way to understand one of the, the biggest flaws of the American Health Care Act um, is, uh, is, first of all, that it left a lot of the regulatory structure in place. Um, that right there is a big problem, because uh, for political purposes, um, it, it actually goes against a promise that elected officials ran on, first of all, President Donald Trump, uh, but then actually also a number of members of Congress ran specifically on repealing Obamacare. Um, so I'm
1: going to stop you for yeah. a second there. Which, which regulatory structures specifically do you refer to when you say you left most of the structure in place?
2: Yeah, sure. So there there were a number of things in common with uh, from Obamacare and the American Health Care Act. Um, not all of them are huge drivers of cost. You can almost wink at a few of them and say, OK, we'll, we'll keep that. That's not a terrible deal. But um, but the, the two biggest things that are huge drivers of cost are. Uh, the uh, pre-existing conditions. Um, that's a more popular part of the law um, from, the, from the perspective of those who <clears throat> want a guarantee that they're going to be able to get coverage uh, no matter what. Um, which, uh, on its face, doesn't sound doesn't sound so bad. Like, okay, well, can, can we try to keep that? Can we try to make that happen? Um, but, but the American Healthcare Act was going to keep the pre existing condition clause uh, in in a way that was really going to be uh, fatal politically because it would result in a lot of people actually not having coverage. And it's that's because um, it kept a huge carrot in there: come vote for our bill because we're going to protect people with pre existing conditions. But it also removed the stick that Obamacare that President Obama knew was necessary to actually make that work, and that was having people sign up for, uh, forcing people to buy insurance with the uh, individual mandate. Well, Congress, uh, the American Health Care Act, would have repealed uh, the individual mandate and that's a good thing but when you repeal the individual mandate then uh, it also means that it's going to be uh... It, that you need to put some sort of a sunset clause some sort of a restriction on uh, the part of the law that says that anybody can come and buy insurance no matter when they get sick just come one come all uh, even if you even if you wait uh, until you're you're dreadfully sick and you haven't paid a dime uh, in insurance premiums um... just come and and sign up for insurance and you'll You'll get essentially free health care the rest of your life um, it, insurance doesn't work that way uh, you have to make the decision before you get sick um, to for, for it to be financially viable just like you can't wait until you wreck your car um, and then buy uh, buy insurance or actually my you know today I was on my uh, I was actually on the phone with my uh, insurance broker because my wife and I are buying a house right now and I got a, an insurance quote and for80 dollars a month um, I'm going to be ha- have uh, you know great coverage, through-the-roof coverage. My house can burn down; we can rebuild it one and a half times over, uh, all for eighty dollars a month. But if I wait until my house is down before I buy that insurance policy, um, well, that's that, that's not affordable for the insurance company. That's a bad deal for them, and they should say no. Otherwise. Uh, premiums for everyone else are just going to go through the roof, and that's essentially what we've since seen happening in some degree under Obamacare. Because the, even the mandate, which was oppressive, didn't work. Taking the mandate away and then still requiring the the federal taxpayers to um, give everybody uh, unlimited insurance, no matter what, uh, was a, a big problem that the American Health Care Act didn't get rid of. Uh, I know that was long winded, uh, but the the other uh, important regulatory uh, structural component that the American Health Care Act kept, or would have kept, um, is uh, the minimum essential uh, health benefits. So there are ten things right now that uh, the Obamacare says, in order for you not to have to pay the penalty for lacking insurance, then the insurance plan that you buy has to Cover uh, these ten things, and uh, some of those things, uh, like like we okay, must cover preventive care. Uh, all right, well, people, everybody needs preventive care, so that makes some sense. Um, but then you get into things that that not everybody does need, um, such as uh, you know, like maternity coverage. Uh, we want mothers or potential mothers and families to be able to have maternity coverage if they want to buy it, but. Um, but why why are we going to penalize a, a you know a, a, a very like an older couple who have no chance of having children? They don't want to have children um, by, uh, by by forcing them to pick up the tab for for those and other things. Um, so let me stop you one more time yeah. right here
1: because I just wanted yeah. I wanted to dissect this just a little bit more because I didn't understand this completely until I really did some some deep research. I I, I was making some assumptions which I think turned out to be wrong. Which you you tell me if I've got this right or if I'm close. On the issue of mandates and minimal essential benefits, there's two halves to this. is what individuals are required to do and what insurers are required to offer. I thought until I researched it that by getting rid of the penalties, which is sort of the limits re- imposed by reconciliation in the Senate, and we'll get to that shortly, um, that you couldn't really repeal the regulation itself. You could only make the fine zero or negligible, and I thought that when you did that – that minimum essential benefits went away because the fine went away. But I guess that's not true because insurers are still bound by minimal essential benefits in terms of what they can offer. True. Or do I still have that wrong?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that's essentially right. And just, and just to be clear, like uh, uh, your listeners probably know that Obamacare is still in full effect. And so none of this has changed, What we right now have is a very bound up insurance market to where you don't have the ability to go out there and buy these plans. Um, uh, uh, these plans that would be much much cheaper. Um, but
1: had the AHCA passed, let's just assume had it passed, past Senate, President signs it, you still wouldn't, you'd still be stuck with minimum essential benefits, not because of what you're required to buy, but because of what the sh- insurers would be bound to offer.
2: Yeah. Yes. That my understanding is that that was one of the principal objections of the House Freedom Caucus Chairman Representative uh, Mark Meadows is that uh, is that although the restriction the requirement the fine would be lifted uh, on individuals um, that uh, the the market would not truly open up because there would still be uh, limitations on uh, what the insurers could actually uh, go ahead and offer. And uh, Mike, and that, that's actually a key point because. Because as long as the, uh, insurance, uh, can, has to be sold at this uh, expensive level where it's covering more things than people necessarily want insurance coverage for, then insurance is going to, to always be sky high. Um uh, whereas if you were to let insurers sell these catastrophic, so-called catastrophic plans, plans that, uh, do not, uh, try to cover everything under the sun, they're, they're plans that you don't even use most of the time If you go to the doctor uh and you have like a hundred dollar you know incident um then you know you you would actually try to you know barter that yeah, you know, barter that. You, you pay cash for that um, and you have dr- you drastically cheaper healthcare expenses without filing an insurance claim every time well then that would cause the price of insurance to drop considerably and you'd be uh you know a little more conscious of the price of insurance because it's your skin in the game um and then uh finally you wouldn't be chasing deductible that's really the, the one of the key problems with why insurance is so expensive in this country um it's it's that we are using it all the time for things that uh if it were um you know any other illustration like, like auto insurance homeowner's insurance um then you would only invoke that in an emergency um but uh but now people operate under the illusion that oh man i have a I have a six thousand dollar deductible with my Obamacare bronze plan. That is, um, that's really crazy. I I hope that I can uh, actually meet my
0: deductible. Yeah. Mike, I'm, I'm going to, to
1: cut you off end of, end a of segment yeah. here. We will pick this up uh, mid sentence. You are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio with special guest Mike Hamilton of the Heartland Institute. Stay with us.
0: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge here in America's Web Radio. Mike Karuchak is your host. Thanks again for being with us today with special guest Mike Hamilton from the Heartland Institute. Uh, Mike, I had to cut you off mid-sentence. Sorry about that. We were talking about the, the nuts and bolts of the uh, American healthcare plan and uh, American healthcare act, and uh, we were just in the middle of talking about uh, you know what happens. I guess in net effect, tell me if you agree with this, but all this stuff we're talking about so far sort of accelerates the death spiral because by removing what little incentive or what little penalty there is to buy insurance, you're going to have more people, more healthy people walking away. And, uh, this thing's going to go down even faster than it was with Obamacare the way it is. True?
2: Yeah, that that is true. That, that's right. I mean, Obamacare needs to go away. It, it's it, it's a flawed law. I think everybody agrees on that, really, on both sides of the aisle by now. Democrats are not uh, lobbying uh, to not change Obamacare. They're saying, go ahead and, yeah, we'll, we'll be reasonable. We'll help you uh, repair and, and tweak some of this law a little bit. Um, And so that that acknowledges that it's a flawed law, but really it does need to go away, and um, and it it will go away, I think, eventually if we do nothing because it's going to crash and burn, and in the process a lot of people really are going to be... Uh, be hurting uh, because they're not going to know what to do about their, their health care. Um, but, and that's, that is really one of the, uh, I guess to the heart of what we were saying before the break, which is essentially that um, when you are using insurance all the time for anything, uh, for, for everything under the sun, then it, it drives up your rates through the roof. Uh, it really anything that you use a lot of, um, it, that's, you're, you're essentially creating more demand for it, uh, and it's, uh, you're, you're going to be paying more for it. And that is one of the flaws that the American Health Care Act um, kept at its core, is that it did not do what really conservatives have debated about, about this back and forth for years. Um, it didn't do what uh, what I think many conservatives and certainly lawmakers at the state level that the Heartland Institute is always talking with um, want to see happening. Uh, in other words, it did not focus on getting people actual more health care. It instead focused on... Uh, this conflation of health care and health insurance and it basically contained um not an individual tax penalty like obamacare but it replaced it with a premium penalty um that was designed to to make sure that you once you buy insurance you never you never leave the insurance market you're and, talking uh, about
1: that 30% penalty that they were yeah they were, and that wasn't nearly
2: enough was it i mean <laughs> no it, it it wasn't enough in once in the sense of that's not a big enough motivation to get people to buy insurance if, if they don't want right. insurance I mean, and, and at the same at the same time like it's it's ironically too much because you really can make the argument and i would make the argument that um the government shouldn't be uh hiking up the premiums of anybody who doesn't want to buy insurance oh agree i'm buy.
1: i'm just saying if you if you buy the argument that you have to create some sort of arbitrary barrier and you and i both agree that's the wrong approach but it's, you know, it's, I think John Goodman argue, uh, argued in an article in Forbes that said, look, if that's what you're going to do, you know, no one's going to worry about a 30% penalty if they have access to 100% of the premium every year they don't have to pay it.
0: That's exactly so, right. You, yeah, know, that's-
1: you know, this thing, you know, gets more and more layers of, you know, duct tape and bailing wire on top of it to try to make it work. And then the whole thing sort of collapses of its own weight. But uh, before we move yeah, out of true. the whole, of the whole, you know, uh, content of the bill and and why it failed based on content. There was, I guess, one other piece that I wanted to get your thoughts on, which was this whole comparison. And I think the the Democrats brought this up quite a bit, which is to say, if you are. Between fifty-five and sixty-five, and you're not, which is distressingly close to my age, um, you know (laughs) that that, you know you're not old enough for Medicare, uh, but you're old enough to have more expensive health insurance. That that the difference between Obamacare as it sits now and what the um, American Health Care Act was going to propose was a a serious drop in the level of support and a serious increase in the amount of premiums that folks like that have to pay. Um, What do you think of that little piece of it?
2: Sure. So I, I mean, I agree. That's, that's a real difficulty of it. And I would just say that it's not as if Republicans had, uh, had no idea about, uh, how to help the people in that, that age that you are, uh, maybe, maybe fast or not so fast approaching the, the 55 to 65, uh, range there. Um, but they, they do have ways to deal with that. A representative price's bill uh, would have dealt with that. Um, and, uh, Speaker Ryan said, well, this is a lot like, uh, that Secretary, uh, House, secretary of health and human services uh chief uh, tom price um but it actually wasn't like that bill much at all and then speaker ryan also said well listen this grew out of the better way plan the one that i commissioned last july and that we've been working on for years this is it and there were similarities to it it did grow out of it and yet it it, it didn't really include those protections uh regarding medicare and medicare advantage Uh, it's it's it ultimately uh, was su- subject, really at the 11th hour, to... Um, to a, a gruesome part of the sausage-making process, this legislative process that um, was uh, really stillborn from the start because uh, it it was aiming for this very uh, tiny head of a needle to thread, and that is how do we squeeze this thing through the reconciliation process uh, within the House? So, which is a really a, it's a part of the process reserved for the budget. So, Mike, we could have a whole other conversation about is it a great idea to create health care policy uh, that was going to change health care in the, in the country for 300 million people uh, f- through the, the budget process. Um, but we sort of had to do it because uh, they thought that they had to do it because of the, uh, the Senate Democrats. Uh, the Democrats in the Senate um, are essentially guaranteeing that they're going to filibuster um, a lot of uh, everything under the sun that, that's proving to be important to President Trump. Uh, they would have filibustered the American Health Care Act uh, unless it was in this part of this reconciliation process, um, which which the Senate rules forbid the Senate from filibustering. And so, as a result, Mike, at the end of the day, you had a lot of these uh, things uh, tossed into the, this bill or pulled out of the bill um, that bore. Striking similarity to healthcare legislation that Republicans have been proposing for years, and yet also some key differences stripped out because, uh, because even the bill that the House and the Senate passed in 2015 that they sent to President Obama's desk and that President Obama vetoed, it turns out that that bill, had it been passed through the reconciliation process, um, it would actually, uh, have, uh, have never made it through. Um, it, and so, uh you have this this hiccup of the parliamentary procedure um that that we were that, that the republicans were were tied to using or so they thought and as a result you had a bill that ended up looking the way it did um i just wanted to say before we move on from the contents of this bill that one thing that it really uh, did make us propose a significant improvement upon was uh medicaid uh and but essentially, what Medicaid is now is this jointly funded state and federal program uh, that uh, gives states an unlimited match rate of between 50 and 82 percent, and it's uncapped. So if a, if a state with a 50 percent match rate um, pays a dollar on health care for, uh, for, for somebody, then it's going to get 50 cents from the federal government, and it stretches the dollar out uh, further. Well, they can, they can, that's true no matter how much they end up spending on their Medicaid program. And, uh, what this would have done is actually give a per capita cap. So, um, it would actually, uh, limit the amount of federal dollars that, Washington sends to the states, um, based on a per enrollee basis. And that would have, that would have actually saved, um, a lot of money. Uh, it's, it's a form of a block grant. Uh, and block grants Republicans have called for for decades. Uh, it's essentially another form of a cap. Um, and it's a way to give states an incentive not to spend as much money as they can on Medicaid in order to get more federal money, but to actually, uh, limit the pot and say that, you know what, you, you have an incentive now to make your program uh, run more efficiently because uh, you, you're, you don't have this unlimited gravy train from Washington. So um, that, that is an improvement. I do think that there are other ways that we could improve upon Medicaid, uh, and I've uh, been writing about those lately, but um, that's another really key part that we should mention about this
1: Okay, so uh, perfect segue because I wanted to go from content to strategy. So So what do you say to the folks who say, look, we should have taken a half a loaf of bread, as the saying goes, that we should have said let's let's pass this let's take the good parts of this there was some expansion of you know health uh, savings accounts there was the medicaid block grants um what do you say to folks and i know you have a lot to say cuz you've written about this and had the the article in the examiner so um is to the folks who say hey we should have just taken this it would have given us a quick victory early and, you know, we could have done more later if, you know, the voters were impressed with us. And maybe in 2018, things get even better in the Senate. Um, what are your thoughts about uh, uh, people who say that?
2: Sure. Well, I, I guess I, I don't like to use the self-fulfilling prophecy uh, fallacy too often. But I, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that, uh, you know, two weeks ago, uh, there was uh, the, the debate was open as to, well, what strategy should we have used here? Uh, we, uh, may, maybe the House caucus could get behind this um uh, you know listening to their constituents back home you know maybe maybe they could they could do this but the fact is that now it's very clear that this bill was opposed early on but then it was dramatically and overwhelmingly opposed not just by uh one faction in congress um but by also also by the more moderate uh group that uh, has a kind of a funny name it's the Tuesday group yeah. Um, and so you had moderate and centrist Republicans, but also you have really like conservative, more libertarian leading Republicans that were lined up against this thing, against the, the, the I guess, the, the mainstream Republicans that were OK with it. So so it, it's, it's not as if um, only one faction killed us. There are people on both sides, not of the aisle necessarily referring to Democrats, both sides of the, uh, I guess, just within the Republican spectrum that. Um, that really opposed this thing. Uh, I do think that it was, uh, flawed to try to pass a bill that was so, uh, resembled so much, um, uh, the, uh, the Affordable Care Act in the ways that it did, despite the many, uh, it, it ways that would have improved upon it. I think Medicaid would have been the greatest improvement upon it, um, the, the repairs that it would offer there and capping it. Um, but, uh, ultimately, uh, what I, what I didn't buy about the American Health Care Act strategy. Was the fact that it was going to be happening in three phases. Uh, so essentially, I don't, your listeners may remember, Mike, that, uh, when the, the bill was released, then it was just a matter of hours when, you know, people start, you know, they get their hands on this and they're going through this going, well, okay, I see some good things, but, but I don't, I don't see nearly enough. I wouldn't really call this a repeal of Obamacare. Folks started calling it Obamacare light out of the gate. Um, uh, and so the response that, that, Uh, the GOP leadership released after that was, well, you're only looking at part one. This is phase one, and we have phase two and phase three that would come after this one. And they explained that a little bit because nobody had really heard that before. They didn't know there was a second and third phase, and I think maybe had some doubt that the, that this wasn't just the, the leadership um, trying to, to to cover their their tracks here. Um, part two of the uh, phase two would have been um, using uh, the uh, uh, HHS secretary Price's uh, pen essentially to roll back a lot of Obamacare uh, regulations, um, and really that would be thanks to Obamacare. Uh, the, that law grossly enlarged the power of the bureaucracy. Uh, uh, the, the Department of Health and Human Services, and so um, so the phase, phase two. Okay, that makes some sense. But then you run into phase three, and phase three essentially is w- was going to say use regular order, which means we're just going to basically function the way Congress is supposed to function, instead of doing uh, you know any, any tricks and backflips and that kind of thing like reconciliation. Normal, and going to pass the rest of the reforms that we want to pass. Uh, and the okay. problem with that, you got th- is that you're- thirty
1: seconds. Go ahead and finish up well,
2: yeah, the problem with that is that once you're out of the reconciliation process, then uh, any reforms you want to pass are going to be subject to the filibuster by Democrats. And so all along, even in the original plan, they were still are going to run into the filibuster problem uh, from the, from uh, in order to implement this plan. And so um, I, I think that, that the flaw was that they eventually said, we basically need to pass this bill to avoid the filibuster. But part of the justification for passing a bill that looked like Obamacare-lite was, uh, was because they were going to have to get to, to, uh, avoid the filibuster but they're going to run into the filibuster no matter
1: what well, yeah by phase three okay and this segment we'll uh, we'll be right back you're listening to the doctor's lounge on america's web
3: radio stay with us the docs for patient care foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.
0: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
3: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. So call seven seven zero six nine six nine eight six two and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: You're listening to com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Karuchek here is your host for this week. Thanks for being with us with special guest Mike Hamilton from the Heartland Institute. We are doing sort of a post-mortem, uh, an autopsy if you will, here in the Doctor's Lounge of, uh, of the American Health Care Act. Uh, why it failed from a content standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, and then, of course, the natural question after that is, what do you do next from a content standpoint, from a strategy standpoint? So, uh, Mike's kindly agreed to sort of review a little list I came up with, sort of the seven deadly sins of the AHCA, not so much from a content standpoint, from, from a strategy standpoint. So, uh, you know, <laughs> number one on my list is, why, Mike, would you take something as important as this right the signature item of trump's campaign and make it the very first thing that you do before you have a chance to understand how all your relationships work and you know how people are going to behave under duress uh, you know why would you take something this big was there any opportunity to start smaller than this
2: well, I think that's a great question, Mike. And uh, again, to your listeners, I'm so glad to be with you today. Thank you very much. This is uh, an honor. And one of the things we've been talking about at the Heartland Institute is you know, how many different ways this strategy could have been improved upon, and I think that to your point, that uh, that this was uh, a, a massive bill that was uh, they tried to rush through. Um, and uh, I'll actually give uh, Chris Jacobs uh, credit; he's a well-known, uh, more conservative uh, or libertarian-leaning healthcare policy analyst, and he had a piece in the Federalist this morning that uh, essentially said that listen, how they introduced this bill in on November sixth, or on December sixth, or January sixth, or even February. 6th, then maybe they could have gotten all this done um, by April six, which was uh, the the deadline that, that the Republican leadership had imposed. Uh, but they uh, the Re- Republicans, although they've been working on this uh, subject for several years, um, they uh, seem to not listen to. Um, the, the experts, the conservative uh, thinkers who have been working on this issue much more closely at a deep policy level uh, in many ways uh, when they went to craft this particular bill. And as a result, um, they rolled it out late. And what they rolled out was uh, something that um, really ran uh, um, foul of what um, a critical conservative faction of the party uh, was really requiring. And, and those were the people who had gotten elected specifically uh, on repealing Obamacare. Um, and so um, they essentially tried to, to pass this bill, uh, which was uh, with uh, too little of a clock, because it's major uh, health care reform. And it just it wasn't, they weren't going to get it done in time uh, on this timetable. Um, but then also because the contents of the bill were such that they were going to have to market this thing uh, it, it really, really well in order to actually get conservatives who had a mandate from their constituents uh, to come to Washington and, and to actually uh, do what they said they were going to do.
1: Well, I, and I don't understand why, why have this thing be so secret and then, you know, rush it out there and say, you know, you got no time to think about it. You got no time to market it. We got no time to debate it. We got no time to refine it. You know, it has to be kind of, you know, rush, rush, rush. And, uh, you know, you've got the, 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 you know, Brandon going to the folks and saying, no, you just need to vote for this and, 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 and do this because we said so. And I think there was, I forget who it was, said, yeah, the last time someone just told me what to do was my dad and I was 16. And guess what? I didn't obey him either. There was, there was (laughs) some sort of, I forget. I just off the top of my head, I remember reading that somewhere. So I'm thinking, yeah, these folks are sort of, you know, they're, they're, they're rebellious from the start to their credit. And, uh, and so, yeah, this kind of strong arming, you know, I just, I don't know that it makes any sense. You know, the other thing that strikes me here, uh, Mike, is that, you know, there, the, what marketing they did do, I mean, what marketing Ryan did was awful. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I hate to say that, but I mean, you know, his, you know, you and I both watched his, His PowerPoint presentation, which I think was attended by about a whopping 10 people from the press, in some, it looked like some basement level media room, you know, on on the footage that I found online. And, um, you know, I I, I pulled one clip from this that really kind of, you know, set me off a little bit. So this is, uh, tell me what you think about this. This is where he basically says the problem with insurance is. That the people who don't make claims have to subsidize the people who do. Let me hope and pray that I get this right. Is the people on the blue side pay for the people on the red side. The people who are healthy pay for the people who are sick. So, you know, to me that's like, well, you know, and you and I agree that that insurance is not the vehicle by which you should fund most of health care. Right. So, but if, if you're, if you assume for the moment that that's the paradigm, then it seems to me that's what insurance is supposed to do if it's being used in the right places is, you know, just like your house you were talking about, right? You're going to pay 80 bucks a month, you know, knowing that your odds of a claim are, you know, hopefully infinitesimally small, but that you're paying for the, the unlucky person who does have a fire and their house burns
2: down. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. The, the messaging on it was uh, w- w- was very difficult because I think that the leadership knew that they were unrolling something uh, under the guise of saying we are drastically changing Obamacare, we are replacing Obamacare, uh, consider it repealed and consider it replaced. But the fact is that um, they they had to present things in such a way that they were saying uh, this this law is repealed. That half the country thinks is uh, is is pretty good, or at least better than what the Republicans are going to roll out. And so trying to appease the that crowd, while also uh, trying to say that hey, hey, look, it's it's even better, or, or it, it's the same thing, but it's not the same, and we promise it's totally different. It's it, because the, they were not clear about hey, well, what they were really rolling out, uh, and they they I, frankly maybe were not as upfront about the whole process as they could have been and should have been um, early on by letting uh people, everybody, you know, see be a, be a part of this process uh, by calling up like the House uh, Freedom Caucus, for instance, and having them be part of the the process from the uh, from from the early from the first steps well before um, the public rollout was. right yeah, or, or public rollout of it, right? Having a long debate on this process. I mean, I mean, uh, the, the Democrats took forever to get Obamacare uh, into its actual uh, form in which it finally passed, uh, and it was uh, at several several different attempts. Now they did ram that through um, the reconciliation process uh, as well, um, but they, uh, but they, or, or rather they. Well, took they had the they Senate, had sixty
1: which, votes in the Senate, right? I mean, you're right. They had they had, and I, there was an article written by Tim Norbeck about that, that the unique circumstances. I mean. That was the whole thing with Al Franken becoming the 60th senator and Ted Kennedy passing away, and um, yes. and then uh, Scott Brown getting elected, but he didn't get sworn in until January. So they passed it Christmas Eve.
2: All that crazy you're, you're, stuff, you're right? right. It's crazy. Yeah. And I didn't speak about that. They didn't pass it through reconciliation, but they did have this ram it through process where they, they, they couldn't afford to send it back to the Senate, um, after they had passed it, that initial version of it, which was really supposed to be a draft version because they didn't, they didn't want to open it back up to the Senate where it could get defeated, uh, or at least get filibustered by Republicans. And so it was, uh, it, it's, it was, uh, Obama was passed after a long debate, uh, and they still didn't get it right and they ended up ramming it through. Certainly Republicans uh, only giving themselves a couple of weeks essentially to get it together and then ram it through uh, it just seems like actually uh, it may have improved upon Obamacare, but it didn 't improve upon obamacare 's process of actually becoming legislation
1: exactly that's when they as secretive as it was that 's what it reminded me of was Obamacare and then even you know hillary care twenty five years before where it was all secret till it was till it was rolled out but let's let 's circle around to this whole Concept of reconciliation because that was their excuse, right? The, the excuse yeah, was right. we can't, you know, we can't do interstate commerce with insurance. We can't, you know, actually repeal minimum central benefits, et cetera, et cetera, because right. it's going to get because it's going to get stopped at the Senate parliamentarian, presumably. Uh, that, that right. we have to accept those limitations up front. And uh, there, there, there would have been other better ways of dealing with that. Uh, so uh, – and I know you've got some thoughts on that, so go ahead.
2: Yeah. No, I, I sure do. Yeah. Well, you know, for, first of all, and we were talking a little bit about this in the break, the it, 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 excuse from the get-go is we have to do it this way through reconciliation in order to avoid the Senate filibuster, um, which the because Senate's not allowed to filibuster a, a bill that's passed through reconciliation. Um, And yet at the same time, then it was at the 11th hour when it looked like it was all falling apart um, that the Senate parliamentarian essentially comes out and says, actually, you can tackle, you can, you can repeal more of Obamacare than you have, than this bill would repeal and still get through reconciliation. I mean, that right there, uh, pretty much, uh, was very vindicating for the conservatives in the House Freedom Caucus, um, a group of, uh, amounting to, uh, but really pushing 40 people, it's a little bit of an amorphous group, um, but uh, that was very vindicating. But they've been saying all along you, you need to repeal more of this. And the UN caucus wasn't uh, saying that you need to absolutely ditch this bill. They were. I think it sounds like they they were getting really close uh, and were were held uh, held away a few different things. But this this bill might have passed had they made some of those concessions. But
1: well, but- heck, I would have. <laughs> like we talked about in the break, Mike, I would have pulled the emergency cord and stopped the train when the parliamentarian <laughs> yeah. said, "Hey, you might have more wiggle room than you think." Um, right. and, you know, I don't even know what provoked uh, them to say that. I would have been like, "Okay, we're going to find this person, and you know, that never seems to get named publicly, right? We don't know who <laughs> they are." And say, "All right, what's the deal? What are you going to let us pass, and what are you going to stop?" And you know, take a couple of weeks and explore those limits, um, or maybe they just didn't want to. Who knows?
2: No, you're 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 absolutely right. And that that sort of leads to what I think uh, the, the strategy maybe should have been from the beginning. And it's forgive me if it's a little bit cynical, but I'm coming from this from uh, from this from the perspective that uh, the Senate Minority order leader, Chuck Schumer, uh, a Democrat, has said that they're going to they're going to filibuster uh, even Judge Neil Gorsuch, uh, the uh, President Trump's uh, uh so nominee for the Supreme Court. Well it, Gorsuch did extremely well uh in, in the vetting by the Senate. Uh and so uh I mean he he really it was really something to to watch and to read about. Um, he, he he gave great answers. He threaded uh, the needles really well. And this guy's gonna, this judge is gonna get filibustered. This is this, this, for somebody who answered the Senate that well to still get filibustered. Well, it just really sets the table for, um, for it makes it seem like the Democrats are going to be filibustering um, just about anything they can, uh, and it's going to be a long four years. And so, in order to get Gorsuch confirmed, I really think that what that the Senate is going to need to suspend the filibuster, uh, it, w- it w- for the purpose of getting him confirmed and that's called going nuclear and frankly if you're going to use the nuclear option um once and like right now in the spring of 2017 in order to get uh president trump's supreme court nominee confirmed then why not use it twice in spring of 2017 um back to back uh and, and you know, it barely makes another news cycle here because you're you're, you're doing it anyway you're already going nuclear uh in order to get actual true real health care reform passed. I think that, that that would have been um a strategy. It would have been, it wouldn't have been popular with with everybody. Um but that's exactly the point is that uh that no matter how popular, no matter how good uh how successful the uh, a law a, a bill is that is presented that's going to repeal Obamacare, it is going to be pilloried, it's going to be destroyed, it's going to be Democrats are going to try to eat it and all of its supporters alive no matter how good or bad because they have pinned their hopes to uh, to, to stopping uh, every Republican improvement um, that would that would change the Affordable Care Act in any meaningful way and so you're going to be hated no matter what for whatever, a republican uh healthcare bill you passed. Well, that early on. If
1: memory serves and, and and we'll just cap off the segment with the last couple of sentences here because we're about 15 seconds is uh, Harry Reid set the tone for this, no? I mean, That's right, you yeah. know, with with not with Supreme Court justices but uh, I think circuit court judges or or um or federal court judges that, uh, that that the filibuster was uh, was was done away with. So they only have themselves to blame. Uh, we'll pick this up. Uh, you are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Special guest Mike Hamilton, Heartland Institute. Stay with us.
3: Thank you.
2: Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
3: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: You're listening to America's com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge, segment four. Thank you so much for staying with us. Karuchek, your host this week. Dr. Shirts will be back next week his, in, in his inimitable self, and he's got some, uh, had some real adventures I hope he shares with you next week. But uh, I am here talking with Mike Hamilton from the Heartland Institute, and we were talking about uh, his strategy uh, for what we should do the next time around, and I think it has to do with uh, doing some serious tinkering with the filibuster. So uh, Mike, tell everybody sort of how that works and what it would take to actually do it.
2: Well, I would be happy to. Essentially, the filibuster is probably the the uh, one of the more interesting parts of American governing and politics that people will probably assume is part of the U.S. Uh, the United States Constitution, but it's actually not mentioned in the Constitution. Uh, the filibuster is a Senate rule, um, and when it's said, people might you know conjure up uh, the, a movie they probably had to watch in high school at some point. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, where he pulls this all-nighter and he's reading. Things like David Copperfield or Moby Dick from the House Floor, or the rules of playing cards, uh, and it's this—it's this, it's this uh, really, really uh, headline-catching stalling technique in order to prevent the majority party from pushing legislation through that, um, that a minority uh, would, would oppose. Um, but the minority can't uh, vote down the legislation if it comes up for a vote, and so what they do is they try to prevent uh, prevent the the uh, uh, the bill from actually coming up for a vote, and it's the Person sits down, uh, and they uh, before they yield the floor, uh, then that means that they essentially uh, have have uh, stopped filibustering, and real quickly, the Senate Majority Leader um, or the President of the Senate uh, can can call a vote, and uh, and and they lose. So that's why it's really this dramatic thing. Um, but the uh, but the the way to get over a filibuster is by having enough votes to attain what is called cloture. Uh, cloture uh, is uh, the, is a three-fifths majority. We have hundred senators in the Senate and so three-fifths of that would be 60 senators. and that's why you hear this number 60 thrown around all the time because the Senate rules say that um, that if you can get to 60 votes, uh, then you can um, then you can end debate on a particular bill that is before the floor. And so if you don't have 60 votes, then that means that the minority party, uh, is able to essentially extend debate for an unlimited amount of time, uh, and they do that with the filibuster. Uh, so uh, that's why that number 60 is more important, uh, but it, it is so important right now. And the filibuster has been around for uh, for a for, uh, very long time, but it's not something that the Founding Fathers uh, said is an absolute indispensable part of governing in this country. Uh, it is not one of the original checks and balances, uh, not even one of the internal checks and balances simply within the legislative branch. Uh, and so uh, it would be entirely constitutional if the um, if the Senate were to decide that we're going to, uh, to suspend the filibuster, we're, not, we're just going to do away with it. And we're going to do things by the simple majority. If you get 51 votes versus 49 votes, then that means that the bill passes. The only problem is, Mike, that in order to suspend the filibuster uh, and to make it go away, either for everything or just for a particular uh, kind of vote, such as confirming a judge or a justice or uh, passing health care reform, is that you would have to essentially break the Senate rules in order to do that um, it doesn't mean you'd be breaking the law, but it does mean that you'd be uh, you'd be getting rid of the filibuster in a way that is uh, that, that is it's um, not like it's not above board um, but it's abrupt uh, and it's it's unconventional um but fortunately we have actually a precedent for seeing how this is done because that's exactly what Harry Reid and uh, and the Democrats in the majority did uh, in, uh, I think it was 2013, if I'm not mistaken. But President Obama had uh, some federal judges that he wanted confirmed, uh, and these uh, minority Republicans were getting in the way, and they were filibustering. And so Senator Reid, um, the majority leader at the time, decided, okay, well, we'll just nuke the filibuster. We'll change the Senate rules on this. Uh, and'll we'll we take the vote and uh, that's entirely constitutional to do um but it was uh you know it, it, the Republicans at the time said it was unfair now it actually wouldn't be unfair turned abouts fair play and uh, frankly i think it's the only uh, it, it's it's most it's i think it's a great candidate as one of the few ways in which health meaningful health care reform is going to get passed in this country i, I can think of one or two other ones but uh, but we've seen this obsession with the filibuster. The, the premise of the GOP leadership was uh, was really based on the assumption um, that, this follow, that this filibuster is this massive obstacle that we must navigate. Um, and so uh, one of the ways to navigate around the filibuster is to make it not be there anymore.
1: So is that decision solely at the discretion of the Senate majority leader, or it does something, some other parliamentary requirement have to be fulfilled?
2: I have to brush up a little bit on that. I, I believe that it could be uh, removed with a uh, simple majority, um, and, and not merely just uh, the, the the choice of the Senate uh, Majority Leader. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I'll have to I'll have to defer on that one.
1: But either way, I mean, it's I mean, obviously, with with fifty two Republicans in the Senate, we could get a majority vote to eliminate the filibuster, either across the board or by bill category or i guess by you know even on an individual bill you could say a filibuster's not necessary or cloture is not That's necessary
2: right. Yeah, it, it could be done. And, and you know, the fear is that, well, what if we lose power, Repub- we being Republicans, uh, uh, what if we lose power and then the Democrats use it against us uh, in four years or in eight years? And then, and then we won't have any recourse. We won't be able to say, um, well, wait a minute, we, you, know, we, you need to leave the filibuster where it is because we won't have any credibility then. But personally, I believe that, the ne- that at least regarding health care, the next time that the Democrats gain power, if they gain it four years from now or eight years from now, it won't be uh, the start of something new. Uh, I think that their mentality is going to be one of, okay, let's finish what we started. Let's uh, it's, let's essentially uh, now do what we always wanted to do, in which Obamacare was a big stepping stone to doing, and that's establishing a single-payer health care system. I think with that mentality, um, they're going to view themselves as very close to the completion of their goal, so close that they can't let these Republicans trifle with these with this uh, delay tactic of the filibuster, and so even if we leave, my belief is that even if we, if the Republicans were to leave it, the filibuster intact right now, that it's still going to get turned against them the next time the Democrats hold power. Um, at least, at least for the purposes of health care reform.
1: Well, it, it seems to me that you're right, Mike. Because you know, why would you not do something like this and be trusting them to do the right thing and reciproc and reciprocate? when the tables are turned as they will inevitably be at some point in the future. Um So, yeah, yeah. I think you referred to it in your article as a first strike capability. So, um, right. <laughs> so it, it would seem to me that it's the thing to do, but now what about, I mean, there's going to be people who say, you know, we're, you know, you're undoing decades, if not, you know, one or two centuries of tradition of protection of the minority party of, All of these things. Um, Again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, I guess the response to them is just that, you know, the climate of things is such that that's the way, you know, I mean, if if, if what's good for the goose
2: is good for the gander, I suppose, because Harry Reid started this whole thing. Right. I I think that's one of the responses that you have to sort of bring out is that uh, the Democrats are, they they have already struck first. They didn't do it with uh, with nuking the entire filibuster out of existence, um, but they they did show that when they really, really wanted to, uh, it really was worth suspending this filibuster and, and undoing uh, decades and decades and decades of this staple that uh, is probably a lot of things' favorite thing that they learned about in their... Government and politics class, uh, unless they, unless they really like it the way that, you know, i do and you do and a lot of your listeners do. Um, it's, it's, it's this old thing that is always supposed to be around, except when the Democrats decide that they don't want it to be around. And we have proof of that because it's exactly what Harry Reid did. And so, um, so I, I think that that's, um, that, that it's a little, it's really a myth to think that, um, that it's it's this thing that's never been tampered with. It has been tampered with, and it's going to be tampered with again um, by one party or another. And um, I'd just as soon see it tampered with by both parties instead of only the uh, the party that's uh, currently in the minority. And the other, I guess, response to it is that um, you could make the argument that the Senate fil- the getting rid of the Senate filibuster is actually going further back in history uh, because it would – uh, it's not as if it's unconstitutional, but it's not in the Constitution. It was made in but by a direct um, by a process that it coheres with and agrees with the Constitution. Um, but at the same time, it is itself not something um, that the founding fathers you know, put in there. And so you could actually make the argument that by getting rid of it you're getting, you're getting closer to what the framers of the Constitution uh, envisioned for the for what the Senate process would look like.
1: Okay, so so let's assume that 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 you know that that happens just for the sake of argument. So so what? So the idea would be to construct a full repeal replace in a single bill, it, it, correct? I mean, would you? Right. Would you Yeah. Exactly. And and uh, so we we both agree on what the end point is. The end point is to shrink the footprint of third party payers. Uh, and, and make you know most of healthcare, 80% of healthcare that's done electively uh, yeah. and, and and make that where the patient's got skin in the game and that they are shopping with their own dollars. They are incentivized to save their own dollars just like they are when they go buy a computer or a cell phone or a flat screen TV or, or, or a car. Yeah. So yeah. so what? Uh, and again, I'm putting Mike on the spot here because we didn't talk about this in advance. So what's the so so what's the what's the transition state? How do you construct something that that um, that won't get attacked based on losing people who have coverage? Or, or how do you how do you reframe the discussion? How do you do the marketing for something yeah. like that and do it better than it was done the first
2: time? Sure. Well, I think that we it's not difficult to beat that standard of how we can rise on yeah. the marketing uh, part, because yeah, that's, that. that's a pretty low bar. But but I do think that what we need to do, and what the Republican Party is going to need to do, is change America's view of health insurance, which is, I think, not an easy task. However, I personally have found, and, I, and I've been focused on health care for you know, about a year and a half, just like focused on health care and only health care, and, and already I've just found that, wow, as much as ingrained people people's view is of how health insurance works they think they have to use it all the time for everything and that um and you know that they're going to die or their loved one's going to die essentially or, or go or go broke and, and uh, you know be in a gutter for the rest of their lives if they don't have health insurance. Um, and then you just after a few conversations, you actually you know it can can get them thinking of health insurance a little bit differently, and you get them thinking of it as the way that they think of uh, of other uh, types of insurance. And I've already sort of gone through that with help with uh, with life insurance and homeowners insurance and and auto insurance, but that's that's really an important marketing point is that um, is that you you explain to people that you're no longer trying to spend thousands of dollars uh, to meet your deductible in order to have the illusion of free health care the rest of the year. That's not free health care the rest of the year. You just paid five or six grand or if you're a family and you've an your family deductible, you pay twelve or thirteen grand if you if you're on Obamacare plans. Um, and it takes you, you know, ten months of the year to do that, congratulations. Do you have free health care for the, the last three months of the year. You know, that's that's not a good system and it's a and so if you can get people to think about uh, using their insurance uh, only for emergencies then I think that's a huge part of the messaging battle and it's really important Mike because under Obama um, uh, under uh, their uh, ideal Republican strategy you would have these inexpensive insurance plans with dirt cheap premiums uh, and the coverage would you know they would likely have very high deductibles because they'd be for emergencies uh, and you would you would hope never to use your deductibles uh, or hoping never to file an insurance claim, unless uh, you know, God forbid, you got you felt really ill or had some some serious emergency. Um, and what that means is that then you would actually be trying uh, to, to spend as little as possible on health care instead of what the current system does and what both Obamacare and what the American Health Care Act would have uh, really encourage people to do, which is uh, spend as much uh, on health care in order to max out their deductible.
1: Well, Mike, we're done. That's the hour. So good way to end <laughs> that's it. it. All right. Um, as always, <laughs> wonderful to, to have you in the doctor's lounge. Um, you're listening to the doctor's lounge on America's Web Radio. Thank you for listening.